really matters? That might be the most important question you can ask. So let's talk about it. Welcome to What Really Matters podcast, episode number seven. I'm Karen Wyatt, and today I'll be talking with you about the lesson of surrender or how to let go of what you thought should happen. This is such an important lesson for all of us to learn throughout life. And the more we are truly able to surrender and go with the flow in life, the more comfort and ease we will begin to find from day to day, no matter what is happening around us on the outside. Surrender is really the key to finding equanimity in life and also one of the keys to being able to go deeper with all of the other lessons that we've already talked about and even the the next lesson, the final lesson. So I hope that you enjoy listening to this episode and learn a little bit about how to surrender and a few tools and techniques that you can use in your life. Remember that these first eight episodes of the podcast are laying a foundation of the seven lessons that I have written about and that I learned from my hospice patients. So when we move on from this foundation, I'll be sharing a lot more day-to-day information about what's happening in the moment in my life, what I'm learning, what I'm experiencing, what I'm struggling with, and in hopes that you might benefit from some of that information as well. But these first episodes are just to help you go deeper with each one of the seven lessons, since I will be referring to them from time to time in all the future lessons after this. So here we go with surrender. The reason this subject comes up, I I want to... I want to just introduce it by telling you the fact that, you know, I've, I've worked my whole career as a family practice and hospice doctor. And so I've literally spent most of my life sitting with people and listening to people who are going through some of the worst experiences of their entire lives. I've literally been in the middle of one crisis after another with the patients that I've cared for. And I've had an opportunity to observe them and witness them, to accompany them through the suffering that they're experiencing, to offer them my own guidance, my wisdom, my medical knowledge to the best of my ability, and uh, offering them just my support as well as they're going through these difficult times. But what has happened for me is it has been an incredible learning experience to observe how people handle difficulty when it arises in their lives. And I wanted to pass this on because it became very obvious to me over time that the people who suffered the most when a health crisis occurred or a loss or a a sudden change in their lives happened, the people who experienced the most suffering and the most pain over those events were people who believed that things should have been different for them. Things should have turned out differently. These were people who had believed all their lives that either that they were maybe entitled to happiness or to um, a happy, positive outcome 
for things in their lives that they deserved that they deserved that outcome because of who they were and how they lived their lives. People who also felt that life just should not go in a negative direction, that it isn't right when something happens that appears to be destructive or hurtful or something that takes apart what they had worked hard for all their lives. And so the people who suffered the most were those who held to a very strong belief that life should turn out a certain way. And they had held this belief for much of much of their lives. And were extremely bitter and disappointed and felt betrayed when things didn't go the way they had thought it should go. When something different happened and transpired in their lives. And I have a couple of uh, stories to tell you about that to illustrate that. Um, These two patients, these were two patients that I took care of in hospice. Both of these patients had received a cancer diagnosis, both of them a stage four cancer diagnosis, which was for them not treatable. The type of cancer they had had metastasized and was so far advanced that it wasn't treatable. So both of them were facing a terminal diagnosis when they came onto our service. And the first was a man who had been very, very religious all of his life. He had attended church regularly, Every single week, multiple days a week, he had been totally devoted to his church and to the teachings of his church and had really lived this exemplary life according to the church, according to the doctrine of the church and the teachings of the church. And he came to our hospice service extremely bitter and feeling betrayed by the God that he had believed in all of his life because he never expected that he would be a person who would develop cancer. He had believed all of his life while he was practicing his religion so devoutly that somehow he would be protected from anything bad happening to him in the future. And so What it really meant is that his religious practice was a way of bargaining, in a sense, for him. He was offering it, offering his practice to God and expecting in exchange that he would be prevented from anything bad ever happening to him. And so, in a sense, what what I recognize is perhaps his religious practice all along had been based upon his fear that something would happen to him, rather than being based on just a love, divine love and feeling connected to God, he felt afraid of what might happen in life, and therefore made this uh, bargain in a sense with God, I'll do everything right, according to the church, according to how they tell me to live. And, and in exchange, I expect you to protect me and make sure nothing bad happens to me. Well, when this man learned that he had stage four inoperable cancer that did not respond to any treatment and that he was indeed going to die within six months, he was devastated. 
He had never in his life expected that anything like this could happen, and he had no way of explaining why it could happen. He was also very bitter because he told me, he said, I gave up so many things in my life in order to live according to the rules that I believed in. There were so many things I would have wanted to try or to do in my life, but I didn't do them because I was I was honoring my faith and honoring the beliefs that I had and living according to this very strict discipline. And here's the payment I receive for living a life like that. Here's what I get as the outcome. And he was indeed, he was brokenhearted. Um, his faith had completely dissolved in that moment and he, he felt totally betrayed. Now I will tell you over the next six months, the last six months of his life, he had time to work on this, to think about his belief system and why he believed what he believed and how he may have set himself up for the disappointment and the bitterness that he felt because he had unrealistic expectations in the first place, because he had made a false bargain with God that was, that really arose from his fear, his fear of anything bad happening to him. And um, he had to come to terms with the fact that that isn't how things work. That's not how life works. And it's not how God works. Um, and whether or not you even believe in a God, it isn't really how things go in this world. And I'll tell you about the second patient. And this also was a woman who was diagnosed. She was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer that was uh, had metastasized already, was very advanced by the time it was discovered. And she was also given a very limited time to live. Now, this woman, as I spent time uh, listening to her story, um, was not religious at all. In fact, she didn't believe in God at all. She had she had no spiritual life and no, um, no beliefs of a religious nature or spiritual nature in her life. She believed in herself. She believed that she alone had control over her destiny. And she'd always lived her life with that belief that it's all up to me. It's all my choice. And it's up to me. And she had made the decision many, many years ago that she was going to take the best care possible of her physical body to make sure that nothing bad ever happened to her, to make sure she didn't get uh, an illness later in life, to make sure she wasn't someone who would get cancer. So she's a person who had spent her entire life um, on a very strict exercise regimen, making sure she got plenty of aerobic exercise every day. She followed a vegetarian diet. She took many different supplements that she showed me, um, vitamins and other types of supplements that she had read about that were supposed to be good for the health. She had, she had focused all of her attention on her physical body and how to maintain it in the best possible way based on anything she could find to educate herself based on anything she could read about how to maintain her physical health. Now this patient as well was extremely bitter and devastated at the fact that she developed cancer later on in life after living the healthiest existence possible. She said to me, I did everything right. 
and then this happens to me. And again, just like the other patient, she felt betrayed by, she felt betrayed by all the information she had received from experts who recommended certain diets and exercise to maintain your health and prevent cancer. And she felt betrayed by her own decisions, just like the previous patient. She said, I denied myself so many things my entire life in order to follow this healthy regimen. And now look where I am. Look what happens. Look what happened to me. And again, she felt she didn't deserve it. She felt she'd been dealt the worst possible hand. She didn't understand why. It made no sense to her. And at that point, she was also saying, I don't want to be here anymore. If I need to die, then I'd rather go right now. She was so upset and so angry at life. Now, this was a time when there were no, um, in the state in which I, we were living, there were no um no laws for assisted dying. So that wasn't a possible, uh, a possible solution for her. And she recognized that she was going to have to let her dying process run its course. She could not control it at that point. She was going to have to allow it to run its course. And she also, like the previous patient, had some time to reconsider this belief system of hers that had led her down a very rigid path of control, controlling everything she ate, controlling what she did, controlling how she exercised. And, but it was, again, a false bargain, a false bargain based on a fear of something bad happening to her in the future. And a bargain that never works out, that, that you can't rely upon. Because you're making a bargain with life that just doesn't operate the same way our human mind does. It doesn't operate the way the ego operates and wishes that it would operate. So these two patients made a huge impression on me. And after a lot of consideration, I, I really, they came to me as patients fairly close together in time, which was a perfect learning opportunity because I got to see how different types of control that we're taking in our lives, whether it's faith-based and based on religious doctrine, or whether it's totally outside of faith, but based on um, knowledge that we've received about the human body. When we adhere to things to the these dogmas and doctrines for ourselves in a rigid way and we adhere to them out of fear because we're afraid that something bad might happen in the future so we've turned as a as a resort to to our faith or our, our faith in God or maybe our faith in our own ability to control things um, we are actually acting out of that fear we're not acting out of a love for life and out of enjoyment of life and what life has to offer us. And both of these people told me they felt they had deprived themselves of joy and pleasure all of their lives. So what, what a tragic bargain they had made. They gave up pleasure. They gave up joy in life in order to feel safer in order to have some try to have some control, which in the end, they didn't have. They were unrealistic in their thinking that it is possible to control life.
And the reality is that we have far less control over most of the events of our life than we realize on a day-to-day basis. Now, we're discovering that we we have no control over the weather or the climate, and um, we're seeing that in its extreme right now on our planet and experiencing all kinds of weather changes and climate changes and um, natural disasters that are happening that are proving to us in a powerful way we don't control nature at all. We don't control the weather. We don't control the patterns of nature at all. I think it is possible to believe because we can control our behavior. We can decide this is how I want to live and what I want my behavior to be. We get a false sense of having control over over what our life consists of, because we can make decisions for ourselves. We can control how we operate. We can live a life of faith. We can live um, a healthy life um, focused on doing all the best things for the physical body. And that is within our power and our control for the most part to live that way. But we cannot control other events that happen to us. And um, cancer, for one thing, is a diagnosis that we don't understand that well. We really don't have that much information about how to prevent cancer. There are things we believe might work to help prevent it. There are things we believe might might foster cancer. Um, But honestly, we don't know that much about it. It's still a mystery. Cancer comes at times when it's not expected. And when we can't understand why, we don't know why this particular type of cancer arises within a person. We don't have explanations for it. And we don't have control over it as much as we wish we could and wish we did. But there are many, many other illnesses. There are many other events of life that happen that are not within our control. Um, One of the stories that made a huge impact on me um, was a story right here where I live of a man who was driving his car through a canyon and a huge boulder fell down from the, the side wall of the canyon and landed exactly on his car uh, on the at the front seat driver's side area where he was sitting and killed him. And when I recognized, wow, you know, how random is that? Some boulder falls off a mountainside, um, I mean, which happens at times, but it happened with the precise timing to land exactly on his car so that it took his life. But that's just the randomness in a way of life that things occur that if someone had tried to have a car be present at the exact moment that the boulder would drop, it would have been very challenging to calculate how fast should the car drive what lane should it be in? Where where should it be at what precise time, the precise second in time for the boulder to land? Yet, it happened naturally and randomly on its own. And so for me, that was a huge example of we never know what can happen and when it will happen at any moment. Uh, the amount of control we have is really very small. My control is only from moment to moment, I make decisions and choices for myself. And that's what I do have control over. I can make plans for the future, but I cannot guarantee that those plans will take place because I have no idea what might happen between now and then. And 
in the in part one, we talked about the idea of impermanence. And I'm going to paraphrase for you a quote I love from Thich Nhat Hanh, which is, it's not impermanence that causes us suffering. It's our insistence that life should be different, that impermanence should not exist. And, and that's not exactly how he said it. But it is our own desire to keep controlling things that actually causes us to suffer. And as I mentioned, those two patients who who had believed for most of their lives that they had control over their own destiny and their own fate, and that their choices and their behavior would protect them from anything that they considered bad or negative happening to them. It's that belief that they held to so tightly that caused their disappointment, their bitterness, their sense of betrayal. In a way, they had betrayed themselves because they had held so tightly to a false belief, a belief that wasn't true. And because they had failed to recognize that life changes nothing lasts. And they had they had failed to recognize that that's a, a truth and a reality of this existence. They believed that they could, could overcome that reality through their own behavior and their own actions and that they could control it. So those two patients actually made their own suffering worse because of these rigid belief systems that they had clung to for such a long time in their lives. And part of their path of coming to peace and acceptance before they died was letting go of the old belief systems they had and accepting life as it is. And one of the uh, things that we talked about in the previous episode, part one, on uh, impermanence is that life is like a river that is continually flowing and that you can never step into the same river twice. There's always new water. Life is constantly changing and flowing like a river. And we are actually floating on that river of life. We're being carried by it. And to believe that we have control over our lives is to believe in some ways that we can reach out and stop the river, perhaps by grabbing a hold of a tree branch uh, sticking out from the bank. We can stop our own flow and our own movement on the river of life, at least temporarily, but we can't stop the river itself from flowing or redirect the river that, that we are floating upon and that we are being carried by. And if we do choose to hold on to a branch on the side of the river, we're likely to get beaten up a little bit by the, the water uh, relentlessly flowing past us. Um, and so it's important for us to recognize that we create our own suffering in many ways when we attach to things too tightly and try too hard to take control, when we try to stop the flow of the river. And as I look at it, clinging to what we think should have been the way things should have been actually keeps us from experiencing what is here right now. And this is a really powerful thought if you if you think about the two patients I mentioned and how miserable and unhappy they were when they discovered that they had cancer and then looked back on their lives and were filled with regret because they realized they had lived 
rigid, joyless lives in an attempt to control the outcome of things and had passed up moments of moments of pleasure and experiences of joy that they might have had in their lives if they hadn't been so rigid uh, about their about their behavior and their practices. And I want to tell you now about another patient that I took care of who showed me a different way of of looking at illness and looking at things that happen in life. And this patient uh, is a, a young man who developed multiple sclerosis, MS, when he was just in his 30s, early 30s. He was diagnosed with MS. And he was an extreme skier at that time who had some sponsorships from ski equipment companies. He traveled around the world and skied on glaciers at the tops of mountain peaks. It was incredible what he would do, hike to the top of of a mountain and ski down glaciers. And so he had uh, some uh, people with cameras who would come and film him as he was skiing. He had received some sponsorships. So he was creating this career for himself around something that he absolutely loved doing and had a great talent for and a passion for, then suddenly received the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, which actually advanced fairly quickly. And um, before too long, he was no longer able to do to ski at all at the at the level at which he had skied. Um, before very long, he was confined to a wheelchair and then confined to bed. And when I went to visit him in his home, I, I expected him to be a person who would be very bitter. He had had been right at the at right at the starting point of this promising athletic career when he was brought down by this horrible disease, relentless disease that was not ever going to get better, but was gradually going to just take take him apart, his entire life apart. So I thought he would be bitter and angry. I thought he might be depressed. I prepared myself um, to experience all of those negative emotions from him and uh, when I went to visit him. And yet I found him to be one of the most calm and joyful patients I had worked with. He said to me when I asked him, did you feel bitter at what has happened to you? And he admitted that he he did in the beginning. He did in the beginning. He felt the loss very deeply of his athletic career and his health and his physical abilities. And he had struggled with that for a great deal of time. And he'd gone through depression and had gone through phases of anger and feeling betrayed. But he had reached a place of equanimity. And he said to me, this is just what life is bringing me. And he said, this is what I have now to learn from. This is what uh, I'm going to use as I as I keep moving forward in my life to figure out what I need to learn next. And he described to me, because he spent so many hours in bed, una unable to walk and get around by himself, he had taken up a meditation practice. And he said, all those hours that I spend here alone in my bed, I now spend them meditating and praying basically every day. And so he said, 
you know, I never would have taken up a meditation practice had I not been incapacitated, had I not been confined to this bed where there was nothing else for me to do, no other way that I could occupy myself physically. Um, He said, I never would have even considered this, but he said, it's been a blessing to me that I've been able to start meditating and I've been able to develop this calmness and to find ways to enjoy each moment of life that I had. And while I was sitting with him, actually, he was, uh, he was situated in front of these sliding glass doors that led out to a deck. And um, while I was sitting with him, he was watching a squirrel that was running around on the deck and it was collecting, um, I think, acorns that had fallen off of trees that were, that were on the deck. The squirrel was gathering them and carrying them off somewhere, probably to, if, to store them for the winter. And he was just delighting in watching the squirrel come and go and watching it um, gather nuts and, and leaves off of his deck. And so I really got to see how he lived each moment to the fullest and how he made the most of whatever life was bringing him as he described. Whatever life brings me now, that's what I have to work with. That's what I'm going to where I'm going to find my joy. That's where I'm going to find pleasure. That's where I will make the most of what comes to me. So in the moment when I was there, there was the squirrel. And, uh, you know, I might have completely ignored the fact and not even noticed that squirrel, but he pointed it out to me and we sat together and watched it. And I got to be in his presence and feel his peace and feel as well this deep inner joy and inner acceptance of the circumstances that he was experiencing at the time. So in contrast to the the other two patients who um, who were still locked in their bitterness and anger, um, Matt had reached a place of acceptance and equanimity and what I would call surrender of just allowing the river of life to flow where it is flowing. And while he never expected it to end up where he was at that moment and um, had not really been prepared that something like that would happen, he was able to reach a place of peacefulness, acceptance, and joy because of, of the work that he'd been doing for several years to help, to help him get to that place, that place of surrender. So by observing Matt and contrasting his state of mind and state of heart, I would say, at that point in his illness and comparing it with the anger and bitterness that my other two patients had experienced, it made me realize how powerful and important it is to be ready to surrender our expectations and our desires and our plans and our hopes for life, what we think should happen, what we want to happen, what we desire to happen. And the more I believe that we can let go of these expectations of ours, the the freer we are to really notice what's here right now, what life is bringing us right now in this moment, as Matt did. What, What is here for me right now in this moment? If I'm not constantly pushing ahead and trying to control what happens, can I just be here and just exist right now and enjoy what's available to me in life right now?
And so I want to talk a little bit about how we can help ourselves let go of some of these expectations we have, how to let go of what we think should happen. I'm going to tell you another little story to introduce this idea, which is the story of Wanda, who was a woman in her 80s that I took care of in a nursing home. And Wanda was a nurse, and she had been healthy up until just a few months before she came to the nursing home. But she had um, experienced a ruptured colon and had gone into septic shock, which is a very, very serious occurrence. And it's fatal about 50% of the time. The people who go into sepsis and begin to experience organ shutdown end up dying from, from it. Half the people who have it. And Wanda was an, much, an older woman and... Um, and yet she survived it, but uh, she was so weakened by having been through this experience and been having been in the hospital for a few months that she had to go to a nursing home. She was no longer able to live by herself independently. And Wanda was very angry that this had happened to her. Um, she, she was so upset and felt it was so wrong that this had that she had ended up in a nursing home and um, she used to say why me over and over again and she was very angry and very upset very rude to the nurses who were trying to take care of her rude to other patients she would throw her dinner tray on the floor she would refuse her medications she refused to go to physical therapy she was just completely absorbed in her anger and her bitterness and feeling of betrayal that this is how her life had turned out and she she ended up being a nursing home patient um so the nurses were were really frustrated and had no idea how to help Wanda and asked me if I would see her. Before I went in to see her, I spent some time looking at her medical records just to see exactly what had transpired when she was in the hospital. And what I discovered is that three separate times, not one, not two, but three times during the course of her hospitalization, the the doctors taking care of her did not think she would live through the day. Three different times they had called her family in to be at her side because she was experiencing total organ organ failure and shutdown. They did not believe that she would live. And three different times her family had come in to be at the bedside, ready to say goodbye to her, expecting her to die. And yet, each of those three times she recovered. And that was rather remarkable to me to think that she had survived three different crises when she was very, very close to death. So close. I mean, death could have happened in an instant because she was in this state of total, total shutdown. And yet somehow, for some reason, her body rallied and she recovered. And after the third time, she recovered enough that she could finally be taken off of medications and be released from the hospital to this nursing home. So having this information at hand, I went in to talk to Wanda, who was in her usual state of anger. She didn't want to talk with me. She was upset, um, refused to look at me. And, um, somehow the words came to me to say to her, Wanda, why you? And 
she turned and looked at me very angry, like, how dare I say that to her? She's the person who's been saying that. Why, why should I say that? And, um, she said, what are, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And I said, well, why you? Like, why did you, of all people, survive the septic shock that you went through? And I, and I told her that I had read in her records that she had nearly died three times. And I said, why you? Why did you survive that? What allowed you to still be here? To recover like you came so close to death three different times that all it would it would have taken one one breath one heartbeat for you to be to be gone now and to not even be here and yet something in you had the will to recover and to survive and you're still here you are here you're still alive why do you think that is and she said I have no idea. And I said, I'm just curious about that. I said, it makes me think that there's a reason for you to be here. There's something that you need to do that hasn't been done yet. It wasn't time. Um, wasn't time for your life to be over. So you're still here. You survived three, three near death experiences. And here you are. And I just, I would love to know why and what it's about and why you're here. And again, she was still angry. She turned away, turned her back to me and wouldn't speak to me anymore. But two weeks later, when I came back for my next visit at the nursing home, uh, Wanda was a completely different person. The nurses pointed out to me she was walking down the hallway with a walker. She'd been going to physical therapy and taking her medications. And when she saw me, she called out to me and, and said, I, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. So I went into her room to speak with her. And and obviously a huge change had happened <laughs> over these two weeks. And she said, I know the answer to your question. And I said, what's that? And she said, you know, you asked me like, why, why am I still here? Why did I stay alive? And why did I, why did I end up here in this nursing home? Why did that happen? And she said, I figured it out. I'm here because there are people here who need my help. And she told me that, the night after I had asked her that question, they brought a roommate into her room who was crying in the night and was keeping her awake. And she was very upset about it initially and felt like, I'm going to call the nurses in and demand that they get this woman out of my room. I don't deserve to have someone in here who keeps me awake at night. But then she realized maybe I could comfort her instead of being angry at her. And she remembered a lullaby from somewhere that she started to sing to the woman in her room and the woman gradually stopped crying and fell sound asleep and in that moment Wanda recognized like wow I actually helped her and as she started to look around she saw many many other residents in the nursing home who could use some help she saw some patients who never had a visitor they never had anyone stop by and look in on them and talk to them other than the nursing staff of the hospital and she decided to become a visitor for those patients so she would make her rounds each day and stop by and talk with people the lonely people in the nursing home and ask them how they 
they were doing, even those who couldn't converse with her, um, even those with dementia, she would just stop by and say hello and let them know that she was thinking about them and making sure they were okay. And she also discovered that she could be really helpful with her nursing knowledge to the families of of new patients who were coming to stay there. Sometimes families had all sorts of questions and fears, and she would get to know the families and let them know that Um, Let them kind of know from a patient's perspective how things worked in the nursing home. And she would also reassure the families like, I'm here, I'll be, um, you know, I I will, I'll talk with your loved one, I'll make sure that they that they have that they have visitors and I'll make sure that they're, that they have opportunities to engage in the activities here. So she became a liaison with, with family members as well. And she would often greet family members of patients and tell them little stories like, Oh, guess what your mom said to me yesterday, she would be able to, to pass on information to those families that was really helpful and really comforting to them. So this is what happened with Wanda when she went from saying, why me to suddenly discovering even though ending up in a nursing home as she did was not what she ever expected to happen to her, even though that was nowhere on her list of things that, that she was looking forward to. And even though it was something she would have prevented from happening if she had had control over it, there was there was a blessing in her being there and there was work for her to do there. And there was growth for her there, opportunities for her to transform herself and for her to help other people as well. So my first recommendation for how do we ourselves learn how to surrender is that sometimes we have to reframe the situation that we're in. We have to flip the script, as they say. And if we find ourselves asking, why me? Why did this happen to me? This isn't fair. Stop and ask the question in a different way. Like, hmm, I wonder why this did happen to me. I wonder why I was chosen to experience this. I wonder why life brought this to me. I wonder what this could be about. Develop a sense of curiosity and and to begin to ask ourselves, why, why did this happen right now in the way that it did? How fascinating. I want to think about this more. I want to look into it and I want to see what comes next. What else is in this for me? So take the question, why me? And turn it around in into an exploration, a curiosity, a fascination with, hmm, I wonder why. I wonder what this is about. I can't wait to learn more about it and see what happens next. So that's my first suggestion of how we can help ourselves let go of some of these expectations. When something that we interpret as negative happens, flip the script, reframe it, look at it from a different perspective. Now, there are also a few Uh, a few little practices that you can use because that flipping the script idea is something you do in your mind. But I have some practices I can recommend. And one is if you use a journal and are used to writing things down, I suggest use your journal for this and 
start thinking about what is it that you are attached to in life? What is it? Do you have expectations for the future that you think should happen that you think either you deserve or you're entitled to or that you just believe if life is fair and good and right, this should happen for me. And if you find that there are things you're you are attached to and clinging to and that you invest time and energy into thinking about, write those down in your journal. Just keep a list as things come to you throughout the day of what is it that I really believe should happen, that that I'm kind of clinging to and feeling attached to. And that if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be really disappointed and mad and feel betrayed. Like just identify some of those major attachments that that you've been carrying with you throughout your life. What is it that you think you can control or should control? And so I think this can help you once you've identified those things, because those are going to be the the attachments that you're gradually going to work on letting go of. Now you might also have like Wanda, you might also be in a situation right now where you have experienced a disappointment and you're you are in the midst of anger and bitterness and and resentment for something that didn't go the way you thought it should and the way that you thought it would. So you might be in the midst of those negative feelings that you're working through and working on right now too. So identify those things. Are there deep resentments? Is there bitterness that you're carrying for something that didn't work out the way you thought it should? And do you feel betrayed? Do you feel disappointed that life let you down because things didn't work out the way they should have. Um, Write those things down too. Those things that you're already bitter about and disappointed about right now, those are the things that you will ask the question, well, why me? Why now? Why did this happen? What's what's going on here? What is that about? And I, I recommend that you journal about that as well. So ask yourself those questions. Um, and write, write about your attachments, write about your disappointments and resentments, and then ask those why me questions about your, your disappointment, though the helpful why me, the curious why me questions. And there's another little ritual. I really like uh, creating physical rituals for myself that I can do that have a lot of symbolism attached to them. I mentioned some of those in the uh, previous, in part one of this series, some of my, um, little rituals for impermanence. So one of the rituals I do for this idea of surrender, because that's what we're talking about here is letting go of of what we're attached to. Um, This again is out in nature when I'm walking. And there are several places I walk where there are bridges that go across little streams or across a river. And so one of my practices whenever I see a bridge is to walk to the middle of the bridge. And first I face downstream. I I watch the water as it flows away from me. I see it going downstream and I recall some of the things, some of those attachments that I've identified that I'm working on that, you know, that I've come up in my journal. And I really see like, I really am attached to this. This really is something that, that I want to have happen that I wish I could control that I wish I could, I wish I could make this happen in my life. Um, 
And I need to let go of that. I need to stop putting so much energy and time into trying to control it. So I consciously envision letting go and releasing what I'm attached to into the river so that I can let it flow away from me. So I imagine just emptying myself of it and freeing myself from what I am feeling attached to and feeling stuck on. And I let it go. And then I turn around on the bridge and face the water that's coming toward me, that's flow, flowing toward me from upstream. And I end my little ritual by imagining, look, I made space now. I let go of what I was attached to. And now there's space for me to receive what is new and what is coming my way. Just as this river is flowing toward me, the new water in the stream is flowing toward me and I'm open and ready to receive something new. So I've done this ritual over and over again. Usually every time I see a bridge, I like to do it because there are constantly things that I need to let go of. And that might be true for you too. So I always do the downstream letting go and the upstream receiving of whatever is new and whatever life is going to bring me now, whatever it is, it's probably going to be different than what I had hoped for or what I was planning on or thought should happen. But I express my willingness to receive whatever it is that life wants to bring for me next. And then another little ritual, which I got the idea from reading the book Sacred Dying by Megary Anderson. And um, if you look back a few episodes, you will see that I did a tribute to Megary um, because Megary just died um, last month. Um, but this, so thank you, Megary, for leaving this legacy of her book. Sacred Dying is really beautiful. It has a lot of rituals in it um, to use with people who are dying. But this particular ritual is something that can be really helpful to us at any time during life. And uh, it involves untying the knots. And so you can take a cord, a rope, or maybe even a long scarf, like a silk scarf. And as you do the ritual, I would say take your journal where you've been writing about these attachments that you have things that you wanted and, and things that you were hoping for in life that may not be turning out the way you wanted them to. Whatever attachments you're trying to release for yourself, uh, think about each one and then tie a knot in the cord or the scarf and keep moving down the cord and the scarf and tie a new knot for each one of those attachments. And once you have this, this, this cord or scarf that's full of knots, contemplate that for a little while because it's really good imagery for uh, to envision what our attachments do to us in a sense. They tie us up in knots inside. Um, they stop the smooth flow of things. They stop the smooth progress. Our attachments cause these knots that obstruct things and keep us stuck in our lives. And that's why it's important for us to begin to release them. And so after you've contemplated that for a little while and really decided, like, I would like to be unstuck, I don't really want to be knotted up inside with all of these attachments and all of my demands and all of my attempts to control things. So I'm going to release them. And then you work your way back <laughs> through the across the cord or the scarf and gradually untie each knot. And you can say something, um, I would recommend this, like I release this expectation 
I no longer need to control the outcome of this situation. So as you untie the knot, just say something like that. I'll say it again. I release this expectation. I no longer need to control the outcome. And gradually work your way down the scarf or rope and untie each knot and release it so that at the end you end up with a smooth rope, a smooth scarf that's functional, that you can use for something that's no longer tied in knots. These kind of rituals, they're very symbolic and they help us in some ways to activate um, the right brain and our subconscious mind. It's like telling our mind a story and it really helps us actually accomplish this letting go that we want to accomplish because we're enacting it in a physical way. So we're, we're almost putting all of our attachments into those knots and then physically untying them. And that's very powerful. It's a very powerful process to do. So keep in mind these types of physical rituals that might be of benefit to you if you are working on your own attachments and wanting to let go of how you thought things should be in your life in order to appreciate how things are. So that's the whole idea and the outcome for this lesson is to be able more and more to live life just as it is right now in this moment to appreciate whatever life is bringing you. What is it bringing you today? What is happening? Maybe it's raining. Maybe it's windy outside. Maybe you don't feel well. Maybe you have a headache. Um, maybe you have a lot of work to do that you really don't feel like doing. Maybe there are negative things happening. Maybe something devastating has happened and you're in pain and suffering. And yet this is what life is bringing you right now in this moment today. And if you stop putting your energy into wishing life would be different, you free up just a little bit of room and a little bit bit of your of your life energy and your life force to possibly see something positive or something good in what life is bringing you right now in this moment and that is what I hope for you that's what I hope for you is no matter what situation you you are in or what you are experiencing that you will be able to find those little moments, little moments of joy, little moments of love, little moments of beauty, wherever you are, even when you're suffering, even when things are, are difficult, even when it's a crisis. Because if you can find, find a little bit of joy in each moment, you can string those little tiny experiences, those little drops together until you create a whole river of joy in your life. And it, it, it can be amazing. Life can be amazing if you go with the flow as it's happening. And if you stop insisting that it be different than it is and allow it to be as it is and allow yourself to make the most of what life is. And I'm going to read to you just one more line. Learn to surrender to whatever life is bringing you and you will be free no matter your circumstances. And so that's the point of today's uh, little discussion is to learn how to be free of bitterness and resentment and disappointment in life and 
no matter what your circumstances are, and simply learn to be so that you can experience the little drops of joy and grace and love and beauty wherever they occur in in any individual moment. And that's that's what I'm wishing for you today. Well, that's it for my discussion of how to surrender, how to let go of the way you thought things should be. And I hope you found some value here and some tools that you can use. Remember that we're here for love because that's really the thing that matters the most in life. So face your fear, be ready for whatever happens next, and love each and every moment of your precious life. Bye-bye.